0: You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Advice for Wives, circa
1: 1896. The indiscriminate reading of novels is one of the most injurious habits to which a married woman can be subject. Besides the false views of human nature it will impart, it produces an indifference to the performance of domestic duties and contempt for ordinary realities. It's true that I am feeble-minded at the grocery store. I write lists that I forget, buy things we don't need or already have, Later, my husband will say, did you get toilet paper? Did you get ketchup? Did you get garlic? And I will say, no, no, I forgot, sorry. Here's some butterspot pudding and some toothpicks and some whiskey sour mix. But for now, my daughter and I stand shivering in front of the meat case. I'm cold, she says. Why can't we go? Why do we have to stand here? There is some kind of meat I am supposed to buy, a kind of meat to go on a meat recipe. We can go soon, I say. Just wait. Let me think for a minute. You're not letting me think. So lately I've been having this recurring dream. In it, my husband breaks up with me at a party saying, I'll tell you later. Don't pester me. But when I tell him this, he grows peevish. We're married, remember? Nobody's breaking up with anybody. I love autumn, she says. Look at the beautiful autumn leaves. It feels like autumn today. Is autumn your favorite time of year? She stops walking and tugs on my sleeve. Mommy, you are not noticing. I'm using a new word. I say autumn now instead of fall. I run into an acquaintance on the street, someone I haven't seen in years. When I knew him, we were both young. He edited a literary magazine, and I sometimes wrote for him. He had a motorcycle, but married early, both of which impressed me. He's still very handsome. As we talk, I discover he has a child now, too. I think I must have missed your second book, he says. No, I say, there isn't one. He looks uncomfortable. Both of us are calculating the years, or maybe only I am. Did something happen, he says kindly, after a moment? Yes, I explain. That night, I bring up my old art monster plan. Road not taken, my husband says.
0: Jenny Offill is the author of Last Days. Her new novel is Department of Speculation. Thank you for joining me, Jenny.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: Jenny, one of the things that just strikes me about this book, it's so amazing and has such an amazing, powerful plot arc, but the plot is completely distanced. Talk about creating this kind of intense tension, but by discarding all the normal tools for doing so.
1: (laughs) Well, I've never been much of a plot-driven writer. And um, I remember when I was writing my first novel, Last Things, I came to a point in the book where I just wrote many interesting things happen here and that was the stand-in for the plot. And with this one, um, it took me a while to figure out if I could do a plot that wasn't linear or uh, kind of traditional. And I realized that what I wanted was less plot than kind of momentum, which I think of as a forward movement but that also kind of like emotional velocity. So I kept writing until I felt like the different fragments, the way that they played off each other, created that kind of like emotional speed.
0: This is such a fascinating portrait of a marriage and of life in our United States today because the way we put it together as readers, it's entirely almost read between the lines. (laughs) I think that makes reading it a lot of fun and really gives it, makes that emotional pull as it kicks in faster and faster, more intense. How much of this did you know going in, and how much of it did you just improvise?
1: Well, I've always been interested in kind of how much you can not say and still create some kind of tension. And I feel like it's a well-known thing that poets do where they'll, they'll use white space or they'll use ellipses to create kind of a space for the reader to come in and bring their own thoughts and story to it. And I wanted to do that. I feel like it's not done at least in American fiction quite as much as I would like. So I I knew going in that I was going to have these blank spaces where what wasn't being said was as important as what was being said. And there's a lot of kind of subterranean emotion that runs through the book and then finally kind of erupts later on.
0: You know, one of the things that I really loved about this book was your sense of creating these characters? how Did you know these people really well before you started it? Or did you get to know them as you wrote it?
1: I definitely felt like I got to know them as I wrote it. And and by the end, um, I mean, people always ask me about how much am I like the wife or how much... But I actually felt just as sort of connected or empathetic with the husband in the book or the daughter or there's friends or there's the girl that kind of comes into their relationship. And by the end of it, I felt like they were all... I became interested in kind of how they would spin out their individual fates and I started to hear their voices in a really cool way in my head and it made it a lot easier to write the final scenes.
0: You know... um when we start this book, you kind of immerse us in in this relationship, and and you do so in a really interesting manner. I'd like you to just talk about this, because I think, though I haven't read Last Things, I think this shares a lot of structural, I intuit that it shares a lot of structural similarities.
1: Mm. Well, this, um, you were asking me a little bit about plot in the Mm. beginning, and I remember when I wrote, was writing Last Things, I said to a friend of mine who's a writer, well, it doesn't have any plot that's the problem and and after he read it he said well descent is a plot and that's what you have and um and with this one i felt like i wanted if i was going to talk about love and how it shatters and how you might pick up some pieces of it again i wanted to start out when it was a whole a whole thing and so a lot of the early parts of the book are trying to show first the the wife's loneliness before she becomes a wife, and then also the moment where the two of them feel most like they understand each other.
0: Now, uh, one of the things, this is a really great vision of marriage. I think you do a really good job of showing us marriage, but in a really untraditional manner of Mm -hmm. showing us marriage. So uh, tell us a little bit about using the revelations of marriage to show us what marriage is, because I think, in terms of plot, I think this is a what I would consider a classic novel of revelation, mm-hmm. where the plot consists not of necessarily what happens, but us wanting to know more and more and more, mm-hmm. more and more and more and
1: more. Um, well, great. I um I feel like, you know, my dirty little secret here is that I don't really like books about marriage usually, or or books about relationships, or. The sort of, I often am not drawn to that. I'm sort of drawn to books about some moody young man like wandering through a landscape, like wondering about if he can ever write his book or paint his picture or any of those kind of things. And, and yet I felt like that sense of alienation and that sense of kind of loneliness was something that I think most people feel in marriage at the same time that they feel perhaps closer to another person they've ever felt than to anyone in their life and i wanted to kind of catch that that movement back and forth that you can feel so so incredibly entwined in someone else's life and also like where did the rest of me go
0: one of the things i think the the that is really interesting to us as we read this book is the change of the the person and the voice in the book and because that's just a really key and fraught moment and as a writer did you know when that moment was going to come or did you uh did that just happen in the prose itself
1: well it took me a long time to find the form for this book and for a while i was i was writing all these different sections of it on note cards and i kept writing some parts of it in different points of view and I was thinking, why did you just write that in second person? Why is that in third person? Why, have you, why are you coming in and out? And at first I thought it was a mistake. But I'm kind of with, uh, I think James Roy said that um, like mistakes are the portals to discovery. And I'm a believer in that because at a certain point I realized, oh, my writing brain is smarter than my analytical brain. And, and I've I've calibrated the closeness of these characters to the, authorial closeness so when the woman who tells the story is closer to the person she's talking about she speaks in an adre- a direct address she'll say you and then when they kind of go into roles she'll say my husband and she's the wife and then later when it all falls apart she kind of spins off and it becomes a much more distant like eagleish height that she observes everything and then it comes back out again.
0: You know one of the things I love too is this book is a portrait of trauma. I think it's one of the absolute best portraits of trauma I've ever read because it gives the really the the feel and the experience of trauma in language and this is a case where less definitely is more.
1: Well I think it's hard to write about about trauma as you say because it's it's tricky not to be melodramatic. It's tricky not to feel like it's territory we've covered before. And yet I think that there's this like heightened um, emotion and almost like clarity of perception that most of us have experienced at different points. And I wanted um, to show that as things got more and more difficult for the narrator, she also felt more and more awake and that's the kind of interesting thing about those times i mean uh rothka said in a dark time the eye begins to see and i i always think that's a good starting point for for fiction and poetry
0: well you know you you do a lot of find a lot of great quotes and clips and kind of uh cut and pasted quotations in here i'd like you to talk about orchestrating those parts mm-hmm. with the parts that are more personal narrative To make sure that that it seems feels as balanced and as right as it does did you find yourself like putting things in and pulling things out
1: I did I did I was um the the parts that are more of the straight story that are the the story of of the family and especially of the narrator those pieces I wrote and I would just kind of I was not sure where they went and then I had a I don't have extra chapters to this book, but I have so many extra quotes, and I was always just joking with my friend that I have all this B-list like evolutionary biology trivia and and um, things like that. But one of the things that I that I found when I was doing it is that um, I felt very nervous about whether you know if you're quoting someone like Rilke um, or John Berryman, it's very hard to put your own prose next to it. So in a way, it helped me raise my game. And it also helped me. Um, I'm I'm influenced by people like David Markson, and yet in his books, there's very little. I think I saw something about his note cards, and it said that for every it was like three fourths quotes, one fourth like story of the characters. And I kind of reversed the ratio um, to see what that would be like.
0: I have to ask on. Um one of the more harrowing aspects of this book is the the experience they have with lice and, and bed bugs <laughs> and and i so did you have any, that kind of experience or <laughs> well did,
1: in you know in new york there was this period where as far as i know everyone started to feel like they had bed bugs and part of it is a little bit crazy and psychological like you feel like you have things crawling all over you and we had someone come to our house and we had we had the dog, and one person told us we had bedbugs, and then we paid money to get rid of supposed things. You've never even seen them. And then we had another person come and say, maybe you never had them at all. And I think that I became kind of fascinated by hearing bedbug stories in New York. And the funny thing was, in this one neighborhood that was adjacent to ours, which was kind of a wealthy neighborhood, everybody was worried they'd have bedbugs, and then it just turned out they had lice, which was almost as traumatic for people because they had never had anything disrupt their locus of control so um, so yeah that was kind of the the beginning of it also in New York at the time you couldn't walk down the street without seeing a mattress and a bunch of uh, a bunch of things on the
0: on the ground this book has a lot of different visions of cheating on your spouse and we see it kind of glintingly from the side when the main character is not trying trying not to see it almost seeing it mm-hmm. really seeing it we see it in uh with Carl Sagan and you do a great job of tying the Carl Sagan story into the golden record story into the language and, and I think there's a lot of really nice echoing and mirrors and this is mm-hmm. a like a a Phil Spector production?
1: <laughs> cool. Well, I never sort of know that I'm, I'm, I'm not very schematic in the way I write, so the echoes kind of come later. It's a little bit more like you, you can tell that there needs to be a certain tone somewhere, and then you put it in, and then later you figure out where it came from. But the Carl Sagan thing was just interesting to me because I think I heard the story of their love story, and it was like presented on some station for Valentine's Day as, like, this amazing story. And then later, I just came across the fact that he'd been married at the time that he met her. And it just seemed amazing to me that that story was, was still a story. Like, I saw someone saying, like, it was a difficult relationship in the beginning. He was married, for example, and had a six-year-old child. But never mind. There was something like that. And I just thought, oh, I'm interested in that never mind. You know, I'm interested in the, that space in the narrative.
0: Well, I it's one of the things that it does is it gives us again this uh, a vision of this kind of intense anger that slowly develops and, and there's a couple of great uh parts where you know some she's thinking about burning down the house mm-hmm, and i think yeah. that, that that those kind of emotions are well handled cuz you talk about just creating the emotional plot for this book? Did you, mm-hmm. like, have colors or a graph mm-hmm.
1: or something? I like that idea. No, I didn't, but I, I, I wish I had that. It would be really cool to have that up on the up on the wall. Um, no, but I think, um, so I've always been really interested in, I guess, what so-called experimental fiction. Um, I don't think anybody really likes that title. But I was interested in what it would be like to bring more of what's thought of as, like, a traditional domestic concerns to that. But I thought to myself, I want... I really like experimental structure and form, but I also want a deep emotional charge to what I read. And some books, you know, do that amazingly. I think the one that most people may have actually read is like Jesus's Son by Dennis Johnson does that really well. It brings like both the emotion and the formal invention. And so with this one, I just had that sense of like, I want it to feel like, I wanted it to feel scary. As you were going, as you were going down with this character, I wanted you, as the reader, ideally, to feel your own unhinging a little bit as you went farther into the story.
0: I really like this. this is, I think this is a fabulous chronicle of madness. <laughs> I think this is one of the better versions I, I've ever read, and that's because I think you you get the feeling of the internal mm-hmm. visions that that people experience. And did you? do much research into, you know, formal descent into madness? I
1: did. I've always been interested in that stuff. I, I mean, I have, I have all sorts of things, like a social history of madness. And there's a great book by a man named uh, Lewis Sachs called Madness in Modernism, which takes all these accounts in people like The Man Without Qualities by Robert Musil and a million different, different stories, some actually by psychotic people and some by uh, a literary version of it. And it compares them to actual psychiatric accounts. And one of the things that I remember thinking when I was reading this is that what writer hasn't experienced these moments, these moments of sudden you know, depersonalization, these moments of suddenly something familiar feeling like deeply uncanny and strange? I think that's why most people are drawn to, to writing or the art, is that sense sometimes that they've stepped outside of what everyone else is agreeing is the world and they are somewhere that they're spinning off into. That's a little stranger.
0: You also do a really good job of in in a, an amazingly economical way covering a span of, of years and it feels right. It doesn't feel truncated. It just feels like we, I guess natural and, and the way maybe that we remember. And it's, I guess a little bit like a slideshow.
1: (laughs) That's interesting. I think, um, I just, I really, I, I mean, there's a lot of long, you know, I call them like doorstop books that I do admire, but part of me is always interested in like compression and what can you do in the smallest amount of space. Um, because I, for me at least, it's, it's very hard as a writer to figure out what's essential and what can, what can be jettisoned and what can't be. So with this book, I sort of challenged myself to put as much as I could into a small space and, and as much of their life. As, as could be and also their life once they had a child.
0: This book feels really epic. Mm-hmm. It, it covers this huge range from, you know, a, a whole life. So I'd mm-hmm. like you to just talk about that epic feel and making the choices that you had to make mm-hmm. and crafting that whole, a whole life, because it really feels like a whole life.
1: Mm. Well, I just felt like... I mean that's that's wonderful to feel like you've created something that's that's bigger than you know when people say it's a small book that's of course true technically but to me I did I did feel like I was trying to put um a kind of a philosophical range into it and I think one of the things that helped me make it feel like a little bit bigger than just a a story about one one couple's life was that I I I think that there's a lot of of parts of life that are, you know, DeLillo has this phrase. He calls it "dense anatomies of feeling," and I think that these moments that we all have, where the that there's, it's a mixed state. It's so complicated, and it's like really fertile ground for fiction because there's something there that it cannot be reduced down to. This is a story about this, or this is a story about that. It's it's meant to, uh, kind of spin you out into something, more capacious and and. Um, really more more surprising.
0: This is a great book about aging, and I love your line, the truth about getting older is that there are fewer and fewer things to make fun of until finally there is nothing that you are sure you will never be. And I think that is uh, uh, an amazingly frightening and true insight.
1: Well, all of us over 30, I think, know the, know the truth of that one a little bit. But I remember being in a movie theater once, and there was a woman in front of me. I must have been 25 or something. And she opened up her purse, and she had all of these little Ziploc bags with little various things in them. And I thought to myself, oh, my God, she keeps making that rustling noise. And here she is with her, like, pocket. And I just felt all sorts of, you know, irritated things about her and and about frumpy middle-aged women. And then I remember very distinctly ten years later being in a movie theater, going to get something out of my bag and looking down and seeing like ziplock bags and realizing that it was it was like almost like a direct line um but I uh, there's also something sort of interesting about the part where you lose your sense of exceptionalism and you realize that in some ways you have more in common with people than maybe in your young crankier years you thought you did um so that was I'm glad you like that line that's that's one of the lines that I'm fond of in the book
0: I've been speaking with Jenny Offill. Her new book is Department of Speculation. Thank you for joining me, Jenny.
1: Thanks so much for having me.